What's up, everybody? How's everything going? I, I'm, I'm doing awesome right now. I'm back again with uh, my incredible third show at the, at the uh, Schwab Impact Conference. And, and I got to tell you, the, the thing is going great. We're really enjoying everything. Uh, I, I got to tell you, we're just having, having the time of our lives here. And I want to, you know, just let everybody know what uh, an awesome time we're having. We're doing great. We're really uh, uh, bringing some content to, to the, the people out there at the Schwab Impact Conference. And, and, I, and, you know, this one is especially cool because we're bringing on a gentleman that's just amazing. This guy is really uh, one of the true uh, pioneers out there and looking at alternative uh, survey and benchmarks about how to look at different types of investments. So I want to welcome to the show. I want to welcome on uh, Paul Marino from Pioneer Investments, which, by the way, is our corporate sponsor here for the Schwab Impact Experience. And Paul is a senior VP, head of sales at RIA and Bank Trust. Paul, are you with us? Yeah, I'm here, David. How are you doing? I'm doing great, man. I'm doing great. And I also want to well welcome Professor Luis Vicierra from the Harvard Business School to the show. Professor, are you on air with us? Yes, I'm here. Thank you so much for having me here today with you. Wow, the privilege is ours. We're so excited that you guys could both get on the show with us, that we could bring our our, our guests such a, a whole new level of, of uh, information in a live environment, right, in one of the, the Schwab Impact Conference, which was one of the biggest conferences out there. And we're just really excited to dive into, you know, understanding alternatives and understanding what it is Professor Vicierra, what you do at Harvard Business School. Um, and so let's just jump right in. And, and uh, uh, before we get started, though, I want to ask Paul a question. And, Paul, can you provide us with some background on the alternative benchmarking survey and why Pioneer decided to do it in the first place? Yeah, David, thanks for asking. So, you know, as we stated so many times today in the various different podcasts that we've done with you here from Schwab Impact, one of the things that Pioneer is committed to is providing solutions to advisors. And that's the first and foremost thing. Ever since our founding in 1928, we've been an advisor-focused firm. So we've received lots of feedback across all distribution channels, requesting a better understanding of what alternatives are, what types of alternatives exist, how they're used, and how advisors select them and make their allocations. So as luck would have it, we ran into wealthmanagement.com, who has an excellent repu- reputation for in implementing surveys uh, and our relationship with Luis from Harvard Business School. You know, we're Boston-based. Harvard is, is, the, is the gr- one of the greatest universities in the world and happens to be based in Cambridge. Uh, and, and Luis is a subject matter expert on alternatives. Uh, it all came together very nicely. And this was something that we knew we could get the right research and could provide a ton of value for our clients. So wealthmanagement.com conducted the survey. We ended up with over 1,100 responses from advisors and their insight wow. is what went into cool. creating the survey and the white paper. Well, well, that's that's really exciting. Now, it's it's great that you you know a company like Pioneer can reach out and and, and really get the collaboration with uh, our our you know people who are on the cutting edge of understanding this type of re- research out there. But before we get dig into the research itself, I think our listeners probably want to understand a little bit what alternatives are, how you define them. So, Professor, could you really get into that and define alternatives for those who, who really don't understand them or, or, or know what they are? Well, I think uh, people think of alternatives in two different ways. 
One is to think of alternatives as, you know, vehicles like hedge funds, vehicles that sort of try to outperform the markets, typically by picking securities, by using leverage, by using long and short positions. So they operate in traditional markets, they just try to beat them. An alternative definition of an alternative, you allow me, is to think of alternatives as access to non-traditional asset classes. You know, we tend to think of traditional asset classes available to retail investors as equities and uh, bonds and cash instruments like money market funds. And anything outside that, we can think of them as alternatives. These other asset classes I'm thinking of, you know, think of private equity or think of catastrophe bonds or think of, uh, you know, well, that, commodities. That was the one. That was the one. Professor, that was the one that really caught my eye when I went through the white right paper. And, uh, you know, what is a catastrophe investment? I mean, that, that, that's something that seems like it would be really risky. But can you explain that one a little more for us? Well, it can be quite risky. A, cat- a catastrophe bond is essentially a bond that will pay you an interest and your principal back if a catastrophe does not occur. And if it occurs, you know, then you lose everything. The bond loses the whole value. So think about, you know, typically those are defined by big catastrophes, like, uh, you know, two, you know, category three or four hurricanes hitting the Florida coast, uh, you know, in one season. That's something which is very unlikely to occur. But if that occurs, then, you know, you lose whatever you put in that bond. But if it doesn't, it pays you back your principal and usually in interest, which is typically significantly larger than you can get with a standard, you know, treasury bond or a corporate bond. You know, the chances of those risks happening are very, very, very low. And, you know, they are typically issued by insurance companies and reinsurance companies who, you know, if the the catastrophe occurs, they want to be able to use the the money that you lend them basically to pay out to the, you know, policyholders of the houses they are insuring and all the assets they, they, they are insuring. So obviously, you know, the thing happens, you lose everything. If it doesn't, you get really nice back your principal and really nice interest. And the question is, you know, do you want to put everything you have on that? Probably not. But do you want to put a little bit of your portfolio on that? Probably yes, because the chances of that do not occurring are very, very low. And if you are well diversified across many types of catastrophes, like earthquakes that has nothing to do with hurricanes hitting a region, that can be an, an interesting addition to your portfolio. Wow. Not to have your whole wealth, but to have some of it? Probably yes. Well, and institutional well, investors have been doing this know. forever. Institutional investors have been doing this for a long time. The question is whether retail investors have access to that. Well, well that's the real key, right? And that's why this whole reason for going and doing this survey, right? And, and moving forward with trying to help the, the retail investor out there kind of tap into these greater prob- these greater uh, possibilities of, of wealth management. Now, what are some of the real interesting results of the survey uh, that you guys found? Well, one of the interesting results about this, and, you know, let me, let me just put in the first place, that's where you need your financial advisor to help you because they understand well the risk of these alternative asset classes to which you can get access. 
and they can advise you on what's the right amount that you should have in your own portfolio invested in this in this alternative asset asset classes. So they they have a much better understanding and they can help you they can help you with that. And you know one of the interesting uh, results in the in the survey was, for instance, to think about how these advisors really care about whether alternatives can bring their clients diversification and uh, and you know and 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 lower or lessen the, the the volatility of the portfolios that their clients hold. Those are you know things that came out in the survey that their their primary concerns, and I think they are very right on that. You know. It, it is much less important to them, and when they think about this, uh, about these alternatives, about what was the historical performance, or the access that they, you know, they may have a specific fund manager. These are when you ask uh, the the advisor, what do they care about? You know, historical volatility or historical performance was much less important to them. That you know, is this going to help my client to have? you know, a better diversified portfolio. And I think they are on the right track of, of when they think about what the, the role of an alternative should be playing in investors' portfolios. And this very much aligned with what, how institutional investors think about uh, alternatives. So it was interesting to see, to me, how advisors are actually on the same uh, track than, uh, than institutional investors. Yeah, and David, if I could ju just wow. jump in for a minute, I think, you know, in, in reaching out to the advisor groups. I think one of the other reasons why we did this survey is because, again, we wanted to we want to always be meaningful, and they, that what that means is we go to the point uh, of, of pain for the advisor. And what we found out was they really didn't understand as much as they should have in selecting these opportunities, and they also didn't understand what was actually out there and how it can make an impact in their portfolio. And so once we knew what their pain point was, we decided it was a great opportunity for us. To use our resources to provide them with the information so that they can make intelligent decisions on behalf of their clients. Now, now, Professor Viciero, why do you think the investors, why do you think the FAs didn't, don't understand alternatives as much as they need to? What, what's inhibiting them from really uh, understanding uh, how to leverage a, a comprehensive plan in, with, through alternatives? Why don't they know that? I mean, many of those things are just new or at new in the retail space. You know, there are many of these, like cat bonds used, used to be only available, only available to institutional investors. They were not there in the public domain. No one had heard of them except institutional investors, except people like Warren Buffett. So they were not available to, 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 to them. And when something is not available and suddenly is in the market, it takes time to learn how it works, right? And whether that's appropriate or not. Right. And so there is a learning process, and that's where, you know, the advisors can come very handily. handy. They, they, they have a faster learning process than probably most of us, and they can help us understand this is new to the market, and this is good for you or not, thinking how that fits in a, in a portfolio. An example of that is inflation index bonds, you know, tips in the U.S. Those things were considered an alternative when they came out in the late 90s. And then, you know, the first issue came in 1997. For five, ten years, they were, you know, mainstream with institutional investors, not so much with uh, retail investors, because I think retail investors did not understand that they were considered an alternative. When they become familiar with those things, these things stop being an alternative, and it's just part of what the, where 
the menu that I invest my portfolio. So something that came out in the survey, for instance, was you know, inflation-protecting assets like inflation index bonds, etc. You know, inflation-focused strategies that used to be considered alternatives 10, 12 years ago, they are not considered alternatives today. They are, everyone understands them. Everyone thinks they have a role in my portfolio. And so, you know, they are not an alternative in that sense anymore. And that's where, you know, the advisors can become very helpful, helping you understand what's new out there and whether this is good or bad for you. Now, where where did you f- first become, you know, influenced by the possibility of, of, of studying alternatives? Why is it something that you are focused on with wealthmanagement.com? And what drives uh, the partnership with Pioneer? Why, why are you guys doing what you're doing? Well, one way of understanding this thing is, you know, for a long time, we thought that, you know, a portfolio of stocks and bonds was fine. You know, bonds for the last 15, 20 years have been highly negatively correlated with equities, you know. So my investment in equities, I can lessen the volatility or I could lessen the volatility of my equity portfolio by just holding, holding bonds because, you know, when equities tank, bonds tend to, tend to, go, to go up. And, right. you know, on, on top of that, you have interest rates coming down, and so the, the, uh, the returns on, on bonds is going up every other year, you know. So it was a nice diversifier that was paying off. But today, I think, most people have the impression that, you know, I don't, we don't know for how long, you know, uh, bonds are going to be an anchor to win war. And secondly, everyone has the sense that this you know, what's the upside of holding treasury bonds or bonds in general is not very high. And so people are looking at what do I do to diversify my portfolio that can also pay me some return, right? And alternative asset classes become very important in that game. It's just understanding what's out there that can give me some risk premium, right? Can help me diversify my equity risk in my portfolio. What's out there? Hence, I think... Something which is interesting in the survey was, you know, most uh, advisors are planning to either maintain or increase the presence of alternative strategies, alternative investments in their clients' portfolios. I think that was interesting and it's consistent with this thing about we are looking for alternative diversifiers. Now that we think maybe bonds will not be doing the job going forward and they might not be paying a big premium. And, David, as far as the partnership is concerned for us, I mean, just just listen to Louise talk. I mean, when you think about Harvard Business School, they're right at the forefront of some of the best research in the world. And so when you have an expert like Louise, who's done a ton of research in the space, not just on alternative investing, but the RIA community in general, it's a no-brainer for us to go right to Cambridge and access that kind of resource. Well, that's awesome. It's, it's, it's always great to hear the companies that are out there that are pushing those relationships in order to give the best value added to their customers, to their clients. And that's really an exciting thing that this is the type of thing that is happening with Pioneer Investments. Now, Professor, I'd love to drill down into, you know, uh, one of the survey questions and ask to get your thoughts on advisor responses. And, you know, one of the things is what are the, top three most important qualities when evaluating alternative, alternative investments and, and, and what's out there and why, how do we look at what those responses tell us? Well, you know, they, we're looking at 
you know, we tend to think alternatives because we think of them as being hedge fund type of investments. We tend to think about performance, about being the top driver of why would you invest in one of those things. And what came out in the survey is, well, once I think of alternatives as alternative asset classes, it's important performance is important, but it's not as much as it is to, you know, being a good diversifier. So that came out as one of the top important qualities that they, they appreciate or they try to evaluate is this alternative investment vehicle or investment asset class is going to bring me, it's going to help me to help to have downside protection. Is it going to help me to lower the, uh, the volatility of my client's portfolio? Is it going to help me through low correlation with equities, right? The other thing that came out and was very important is uh, liquidity. So liquidity is a big factor for uh, yeah. I saw for, that. That kind of hit. That, that shocked me. That the, the percentage of of that response was so high at sixty two percent. I mean, to explain to why it, it is was so a big part of the response. I think you know they they wanted their you know their clients to be able to you know, not lock up their their, their, their assets for a, a long time because they might have regular needs out of the portfolio that some institutional investor might not have. So, you know, ensuring that, you know, I have liquidity on the on the asset class is important. Also, you know, liquidity gives me liquidity gives me the right to get out when I think it's not again in the interest of my client to hold that vehicle that asset class or or, or, or investment vehicle. So that's why liquidity comes, you know, is, is a very important reason for them. Now, the question is how you trade off, you know, liquidity with other things like, you know, profitability and, uh, and you know, downside protection. And, you know, that's the, that's the thing where, you know, you ask them then, would you trade some liquidity for gaining, you know, downside protection and, you know, low volatility in, in my client's portfolio and diversification value. And when we run this on a, on a live webcast and we ask, uh, you know, the, the, with, with RIAs and, and, and broker dealers that, you know, advise clients and we ask them, you know, would you be willing to trade off? And they said, yes, I would be willing to trade off. You know, in that raises the question of, you know, do you really need daily liquidity or would you trade off, you know, say, quarterly liquidity or semi-annual liquidity to get some of these benefits. And they said, maybe I would be willing to do that. My clients would be comfortable with that. I think beyond that, they are more uncomfortable. But there is this sense that, you know, there is liquidity is a prime consideration, but it's not daily liquidity. It's that I'm going to be considering that. And when I trade off having lower liquidity, I need to have a benefit for that lower liquidity. So that's how... I interpreted the, the questions in the survey, the answers that we got, and also how people responded when we asked them in the webcast. Hey, Luis. Well, what was interesting to me was that. Oh, go ahead, Paul. I'm, I'm sorry. To, I, Luis, I just wanted to stick with that for one minute because liquidity is a, it can be an issue at times when, when evaluating just how non-correlating an asset could be to the marketplace. And there's more than just whether or not something is liquid on a daily basis, but it comes down to operational concerns. What, what, how can an advisor maneuver around those operational concerns so that they make sure that a portion of their asset allocation mix is truly non-correlated?
Luis, did you hear that question? Oh, that was a question for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was. Yeah, that was. So I think you have to understand, look, this is a very important thing. You need to understand the value proposition of what being offered. I think one of the things that, uh, you know, liquidity and clarity are different things, right? So it's very important to, when you are an advisor and you are thinking about an alternative investment, do I understand what this alternative investment can do for my clients and for the portfolios of my clients? What's the value proposition? Once you understand the value proposition, you can sort of think about, okay, this value proposition is one in which I'm gaining through low correlation because I, I am understanding the diversification value of that. If that now requires me to, say, have lower liquidity, non-daily liquidity, I will go for it. You know, when you don't understand that, then liquidity is very important because as you see the whole thing performing and there's not a well un understood value proposition, you sort of think it's there. You want to be able to have an exit you know, mechanism. You want to be able to exit that investment at you know on a short notice when when you need it. So it's that's the, that's uh, to me a very important a very important thing. Also, you know, very highly liquid investments tend to have more higher correlation. In fact, you know, it, it, empirically with uh, with bonds and equities. So you know, alternatives are very very highly liquid. They also tend to be much more similar to bonds and equities, and so they exhibit a, a lot less diversification value. And so, Luis, based on that, I have one more follow-up question, too. Knowing that some of these asset classes are esoteric and hard to access, in a, in a fee-compressed world, how should advisors be looking at the fees on alternative investments differently than a traditional core equity or fixed income strategy? I think fees have become a very prime consideration. You know, in a world with low yields, with low expected returns, you want to know how much of, you know, that gross return you're going to be able to get in your pocket after paying for fees. So fees now are becoming extremely important in, for institutional investors, for retail investors, for everyone. So alternative investments tend to be, you know, especially those who are more focused on performance, tend to be much more expensive. And the question you have to ask now, is the fee worth, you know, paying or not? Many of these alternative asset classes, people are figuring out ways to bring them to mainstream at fees which are doable for retail investors. So there's a big difference on the, on the average fee that you pay on alternatives that give you exposure to other asset classes, which are not traditional bonds and equities. And the fees that are typically charged by alternatives are more focused on outperforming uh, markets in general. And, you know, those are prime considerations. And from the institutional side of the business, we know fees are coming down big time. And definitely, you know, advisors are on top of that and retail investors are on top of that. You know, that's a prime consideration today. Fees are important. One of, one of the interesting things that I saw in the responses here was that the historical volatility was so low on the totem pole, so to speak, of, of, in terms of responses. Why do you think that, uh, Luis? Why do you think it, it's not playing a, a bigger role like low correlation of other asset classes, liquidity, downside protection? Why is volatility so, so you know, not a, as big a concern as the others? I think for some of these asset classes and these alternatives, uh, you know, it is much more important to understand them and what the potentially the volatility could be than just by looking at historical numbers.
And especially, okay. you know, with alternative investments like they are, like say private equity, where you know they are mark to market very sparsely, right? His, you look at historical data; it's gonna tell you that you know it's not gonna really tell you the true volatility that you could expect on that asset class. So historical volatility to evaluate future volatility in alternatives is less relevant. Same thing with historical performance; it's more about understanding what the what the asset class, alternative asset class, or the alternative vehicle is doing. It is that is way more important to understand what it can do in the future. And I think that's why in the survey historical volatility came as less important than other factors. Wow, great answer. All right. All right, just to wrap it up here, you know, we really appreciate you coming on, but can you if you could tell uh the listeners about what wealthmanagement.com does, what your guys focus is, and and what what What's your thoughts on, you know, the next five years in terms of investment and how alternatives will play a role in all that? Yeah, so, Luis, I'll answer the question on wealthmanagement.com, who they are and what they do. So they're, they're a great partner of ours on the, uh, the media side, and they have a wealth of resources where they can help us with webinars and white papers and surveys. They have a database of about 40,000 or so advisors that are loyal to them and look to them for information. And so when we wanted it to go out to the masses and get information, uh, they, they were a, a very valued partner and somebody that we knew we could work with. So the second part of the question, I'll hand it over to Luis. Yeah, I mean, I think we are going to be living in a world, and I might be wrong, I don't have a crystal ball, but we're going to be living in a world where fixed income, traditional fixed income might disappoint in terms of how much diversification can bring to to portfolios and as well as what kind of risk premium it pays, what kind of return it's going to be paying. And so I, I think what we're going to be seeing is alternative investments understood as alternative asset classes becoming way more mainstream in the, in the, in the, next, in, in the future. I see that's happening in the institutional side now. You know, factor risk premium, alternative betas, etc. they are becoming as, you know, much less expensive way to achieve some of the returns that hedge funds have been giving us historically. And uh, and those things have been mostly available only to institutional investors, but I think they're going to make their way into the mainstream. A much lower fees, you know, liquidity that is reasonable for retail investors, and these are going to become like satellite investments are going to become mainstream for, for retail investors as, as they are now for, for institutional investors. I think that we're going to see a, a big growth in, the, in that kind of vehicles at the retail investing level. Wow. Well, that's, I, that's, see that, uh, I see that on the institutional side. There's no reason it's going to happen. Go ahead. Right. No, I, what's interesting to me is you know, and being on the outside of this, and, you know, I, I get to uh, talk to different groups out there and talk to FAs on a regular basis. And, and, and you know, gaining access to this type of information is, is really beneficial for them, but there is a reluctance. And, and I think that reluctance is always a part of fear. And, and what's interesting to hear you talk about is that it sounds like alternatives are the future. And what the new thing that comes in becomes that long-term strategy. What are some new exciting alternatives that are out there real quickly that you think could pop up that could then turn into the greater long-term investment? 
Well, I think we are seeing uh, things like catastrophe bonds or insurance-linked securities in general becoming more available to retail investors. We are seeing things like, uh, you know, style premia becoming, you know, more mainstream and available to retail investors. These are the type of things that are becoming, you know, uh, they have been on the toolbox of institutional investors and they are becoming more increasingly so available to, you know, uh, retail investors and, and their advisors. And that's interesting things that are happening and I expect they are going to keep happening in the next five of uh, five to ten years, becoming mainstream. In fact, outstanding. Well, and Professor and da uh, David, I just oh, want to bring up something? one thing before we. Yeah, I want to bring up one thing before we go and tie it into what we were talking about before. This industry is such an innovative industry, and whenever there's a challenge, we come up with solutions. And you know, to Luis's point, this this is the future of where things are going. There'll always be a place for core products because. There's such a foundation for everything that we do. But as the industry continues to, to be challenged, we'll meet those challenges with solutions for our clients. And, you know, having relationships like with, with Louise who can help us sort of navigate that is critically important to Pioneer. So I want to thank him for all the work that he's done for us in, in putting this white paper together and conducting the survey. because It's been tremendously helpful for us to understand our clients and their needs. Well, Paul, it was a pleasure working and with you. I, I learned a lot from, from, from working <laughs> with you. Well, where, where can our listeners go and find this white paper, you guys? So it's on our website, David, uh, www.pioneerinvestments.com. And uh, if you go there, you could, you could check and search under uh, the RIA section, and you'll find it there. Um, also, I mean, I'm happy to just put my email out there. Paul.Marino at PioneerInvestments.com. So if anybody's listening and wants to get this uh, paper, they could come, they can email me and we'll get it to them right away. And if they happen to be at the Schwab Impact Conference, just stop by the Pioneer booth and you can grab the white paper. We have plenty, plenty of copies here. And they could also be involved in the survey as we have an interactive uh, webpage that they can then become a part of the survey, take the survey, and then benchmark themselves versus the industry and their peers. Outstanding. Well, gentlemen, thank you so much for coming on. It's been a real pleasure. Professor, uh, you're a wealth of information, man. I'm really looking forward to getting to know more about what you do in, in this lifetime. And uh, thank you for all you're doing. And thank you, Paul, for coming on. Thank you for inviting me to participate. I really enjoyed this uh, experience. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Have okay. a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Well, there you have it, man. That is the third and final show of the Pioneer Investment-sponsored Schwab Impact Series. Uh, I'm your host, Navy SEAL motivational speaker, author, performance coach, and podcast host, David Rutherford. It has been an incredible opportunity to, to be here at the Schwab Impact Conference, to be working with my great teammates and colleagues at Pioneer Investments. I hope the information that we've delivered to all of you has been impactful, it, that it's given you some insight, it sparked some thinking, because if in the future you truly want to understand what it is about what Pioneer does, again, go visit the website. They're a wonderful client. They know what they're doing. They're one of the tops in, in, the, organ, in the industry in terms of mutual funds, and go check them out. So that's all I got, and uh, we'll see you next time. Booyah.